Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. As we go throughout, keep your Bible close, but if you'll just join me quickly in John the 16th chapter, I want to just use this as a launching point and then we will get to it as it is the subject today. John chapter 16 and verse 7. Jesus is speaking here and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Everybody say the truth. Jesus is speaking. Now, if you can't believe when Jesus says it's true, I don't know. I don't know who you can believe. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Amen. I want to preach today. The Lord laid this upon my heart, trying to just make a solitary point. The Lord loved us enough to leave. He loved us enough to leave. Now, as already was mentioned here, next week is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is a Christian, I hate to use the word holiday, It is a representation of a feast of the scripture. It is a representation of the beginning of the church age. It is the day that Jesus established the only thing that he ever called the church. He said, I will build my church. Amen. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then a few chapters later, a little while later, we find the day of Pentecost. And then after, amen, that Pentecostal experience uh, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came, it says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want to be a part of a church that Jesus calls a church. Amen. And so we are, amen, a Pentecostal church. We are an apostolic Pentecostal church, meaning we believe in the apostles' doctrine, amen, of Scripture, meaning we believe in the Pentecostal experience as the mode of salvation that Jesus designed and chose and implemented. We believe in the Bible from cover to cover. We believe that every word of God is true, amen? Every word of God is fruitful. Every word of God is powerful in our lives. And next Sunday, we will speak specifically about what that means to be, amen, Pentecostal on Pentecost Sunday. But I want to lean into next Sunday today, if that's all right. I want to lean into that because for Pentecost to happen, Jesus had to leave. 
this statement seems challenging and it can seem confusing to people at first if they don't understand the context, if they were just to open their book one day up to John 16 and begin to read, they would be mightily confused as to what in the world Jesus is talking about. Why ever, why would this be a good idea for him to leave after all that he was and all that he did and all that he represented and how much better he was making their lives and he was lifting up as it were their whole society of the the region and of the time and why in the world would he need to leave but it's one of the greatest acts of love from the Lord leaving leaving is one of the greatest acts of love that Jesus ever committed I want you to consider with me what the people of Jesus' day experienced and were experiencing. Forget for a moment the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests and all of them. Forget for a moment the religious groups of the day who so many of them seem to despise the Lord. Just consider the common man, the woman, the child, the people that lived, the people that lived and worked in the areas that Jesus ministered into the cities and the towns that Jesus would come into and go out of and move around and, and be around these people. There were thousands upon thousands of people, everyday people who were dramatically impacted by the life of Christ. Dramatically impacted by the actions that his, it took place in his ministry. If we just begin at the introduction of his ministry as an adult at the Jordan River, John the Baptist is there and he is preaching and he's preaching with boldness and power and conviction and he's drawing crowds. People are leaving the towns and the cities and the synagogues and they're going out to stand by the riverside and listen to John the Baptist preach. And in Matthew 3, 5, and 6, they went out then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins all of the region not just John's family and friends not just his supporters that said well we better go listen to John again he's going to get lonely out there no people were coming from all over the region to stand there on the the shores of the Jordan and, and feel the preaching and the power of this man who was the one that would go before Christ the Bible later tells that would be the the one who would go before him and turn people's hearts towards the Christ. And so here he is doing that. And all of these friends, family, townsfolk, masses of people are there. And then Matthew 3 and 13, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. And verse 16 and 17, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him and lo a voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and just so we understand the context and what everyone else was witnessing the Bible tells us that John would later testify of this same exact moment and he would write about it in John 1 32 and John and John bear records saying I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and a boat upon him I saw it. I witnessed it. If John saw it, everyone else saw it. If John witnessed it, everyone else witnessed it. Can you imagine, consider people witnessing that? What an amazing moment. What do you think they went home and told people about that day? What do you think the story was that that later on that evening as they sat at the dinner table 
John the Apostle would end his book with this in John 21 and 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. John the Apostle says, look, we've written a bunch of stuff for you guys, and we're trying to get you to understand the things that Jesus did. But just so you know, we couldn't write all of it. There wouldn't be enough time or enough paper to write everything that Jesus did in his ministry. And I want you to consider that. I want you to consider the impact, the life change that he was making upon the people of that day. For a moment, imagine the public miracles of Jesus and how they would impact a group of people, how they would have impacted a group of people of any time, of any era. Jesus attends a wedding that is about to turn into a negative situation. The marriage feast sometimes in those days could last seven to eight days, we are told, that they would celebrate the marriage. And the wine has run out. The wine mentioned here especially is, is talking about the most prized wine of the day, which the most prized wine of the day would be the opposite of the most prized wine of our day. It would be the freshest. It would be that which was from the latest crop that was the most fresh. It was, it was not some old old rotted stuff but they are out and Jesus tells only the servants he just tells the servants to take six stone water pots and fill them with water and serve it to the guests now that's just servants and maybe it's just six that's not a large group of people but that's a crazy thing to ask To which the governor of the feast is so impressed when they go and they take the water pots that they fill with water and they go serve the governor of the feast. He is so impressed. He says, most of the people serve the best wine first and they save the, the junk for last. Now, I'll just say this. I don't want to go off into a Bible study today, but the fact that he could still tell the difference after seven or eight days of drinking is a good indicator that they were not all drunk out of their minds with some alcoholic drink. The fact that he even had the mind capacity to formulate that sentence means they're probably not drinking what people are drinking today. This was to a smaller group, just helping a family. Most didn't know what happened, but those servants knew. Let me ask you a question. What do you think those servants did the moment they left that wedding feast? What do you think those servants who filled water pots with water and it came out wine, what do you think they were talking about that night? What do you think they talked about with the other servants and with the neighbors down the streets? What do you think they told their children, their wives, their, 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 their fathers, their mothers? It, it sets the tone, this first miracle of Christ. It sets the tone for the motivation of the miraculous when it comes to Jesus. He wasn't trying to manipulate people. He loved people. He wasn't trying to command or control people. He loved people, and that was why everyone knew who Jesus was. That was the reason why everybody knew who he was. It didn't take very long at all as the miracles start piling upon themselves. In John 4, Jesus meets a member of the royal family of the day. He's a nobleman, and his son is dying, and he is desperate for a miracle. And we find in John 4, 50, Jesus said to him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. 
And then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. When did my son start to get better? And they said unto him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. Oh, hallelujah. Imagine the impact that that made on that nobleman and this whole entire royal family that has now saw one of their own miraculously raised up, not even because Jesus came to the house and laid his hand upon him, but because Jesus simply said, thy son liveth. And they even checked the time card to find out that the moment the words left the lips of Jesus Christ, that's the moment the fever left the body of the sick child at home because Jesus... What a powerful story. How often do you think they told that story? How often do you think they shared that? What do you think that did to that son who when the fever was gone and he was back in his right mind and they told him that story? What do you think he wouldn't told his friends? How many people were talking about that within 24 hours? Jesus was teaching a crowd one day by the lake, and he steps into a boat, and he pushes off a little to be able to address the whole crowd. He wants to get a step just away a little bit, get on this boat so he can see everybody and he can talk to everybody. It's Simon's boat, and he's fished all night, and he's caught nothing. Jesus tells him to go try again. He finishes his his teaching, and he sees Simon, and Simon says, we've tried all night, nothing's happened, we haven't caught anything. Jesus says, why don't you try it again? Well, because, I don't know, I'm the fisherman and you're not. (laughs) Because I've been up all night and I'm tired. Because I'm frustrated. Because I got other things I have to do. Because I don't even know who you are. Why don't you go try it again, Simon? Go out there and and cast those nets out again, and they catch more fish than they can handle. They have to call their brothers over from another boat, and they bring this massive, massive haul of fish. The first fish story was actually true. It was a fish story, and it was true. Imagine that. (laughs) What do you think the people that were standing there moments before listening to Jesus teach and then he just casually says to Simon, why don't you go try it again? What do you think they talked about that night? What do you think that was the, the, the conversation that was taking place in the community when they saw a greater load of fish than they've ever seen being brought to be sold? What do you think people were thinking about this Jesus and what he was capable of? Whether or not it was a good thing to have him around. Maybe we should keep him around. Maybe we shouldn't let him go anywhere. Maybe we should. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue in Mark 1 when a possessed man cries out in the middle of the synagogue. Jesus cast the evil spirit out of him right in front of everyone. Mark 1, 27, 28, and they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with, with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. I mean, we've heard, we've heard that he could heal people, and we saw what he did with the fish, and now he's casting out evil spirits. 
And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Now everybody's talking about it because you might not believe the fish story and you might not think that the royal family really had their son healed, but now he's casting out demons in the synagogue. And everybody's talking about this Jesus and how much he's helping people and loving people and he's delivering people and he's there for people and we, we really need to keep this guy around. He's powerful. He's got authority. This could be our next king, our next leader. This guy needs to be in control. He needs to be in charge. We'll follow someone like him. What would you have done in that day? If, you know, really, what would you have done? How would you have acted? A little while later, a diseased man with leprosy comes to Jesus, and Jesus touches him. Touches a leper. Lepers weren't even supposed to be around. They were supposed to keep their distance outside the gate, and somehow he gets close to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't push him away. He touches him. Touching a leper. I mean, now you're just showing off. But what's he showing off? He's showing off love. He's showing off compassion. He's showing off mercy. He's showing off the things that attract people to him. These are the reasons why the crowds get bigger and bigger. He touches him and immediately he is healed. And Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone. Go see the priest first because the priest had to verify that the leprosy was gone so that the man could reenter society. But Mark 1.45 says, but he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. I like that phrase. He, was, he blazed abroad the matter. Insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter the city, but was without in a desert place. And they came to him from every quarter. Jesus couldn't go into the city anymore because the whole city would shut down. They loved him so much because he loved them so much because of the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the teaching and the compassion and the mercy. And they loved him so much he had to stay out into the wilderness place. But that really didn't make a whole lot of difference because the Bible says that they all just came to him from every quarter. Now, healing leprosy did not save this man's soul. It did not guarantee that man of an eternity in heaven. But Jesus did it anyway. It didn't do anything for his eternity. He was just no longer a leper. He just no longer an outcast. He could just go back home again. He could just go back to his wife and his kids again, go back to his job again. He could go back to having a better quality of life. It wasn't about the salvation of his soul. That was just making his life better because Jesus was compassionate and kind and merciful and loving. A centurion, a soldier leading a hundred men, has a sick servant at home. And in Matthew 8, 13, and Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Do you think the 100 soldier families under his command might have heard about that? Do you think that centurion went back the next day to his soldiers and said, look, before we do any of our stuff, I got to tell you what Jesus did yesterday. 
And do you think those hundred soldiers went to their homes and said, you're not going to believe what happened to the centurion servant, what Jesus did. That's why the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why everyone was talking about and wanting to get around Jesus. Even Roman soldiers were talking about the compassion and the mercy and the kindness. And he's making things better. And he's making people's lives better. And he's bringing the whole society up. There's a buzz. There's, a, there's an energy. There's an excitement. People are seeing things like they haven't seen things before. They're acting in ways that they haven't acted before. They're believing and having hope that they haven't had for generations. That things could be better, that things could be different. He raised a widow's son because he was just passing by a funeral procession. He healed a woman with a 12-year sickness because she crawled through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. He opened a young man's blind eyes. He raised up a paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. He fed thousands with miraculous provision just so they wouldn't be hungry. He calmed the seas just to calm people's fears. He was kind and loving and compassionate person. He with the ability to do the miraculous, and he lived with them. We have him. Nobody else has anyone like Jesus. We, he lives with us. He walks on our streets. He comes to our places of business. We, we listen to him teach. He's, he's here in our region with our families. We know now there's a place we can go. We know there's a place we can go when our kids are sick or when our servants are dying or when we need somebody to rescue us or help us. Or we're looking for answers and we don't know what to do and we're distracted and we're confused and we're downtrodden and distraught. There's suddenly there's this man called Jesus just walking amongst us and raising us up, delivering us and setting us free. How lucky are we? How lucky are we to live in the area of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria? How lucky are we to be in the places of Capernaum? How lucky are we to live in this region where Jesus showed up? And here they are. It's no wonder they wanted him to be king. No wonder they wanted him to rule and reign. Sure they did. Why not? Who would be better? I mean, come on. Who has a better campaign slogan than Jesus? I can walk on the water. It's just campaign commercial. He's walking on the water. Just... <laughs> All of the testimonials lining up person after person after person to say, this is what Jesus did for me. This is what Jesus did for me. Our life is so much better now. And we love having him here. We're so glad that he's here. We're so glad that he lives amongst us. We're so glad that this is the region of the world that he ministers in. We don't ever want him to leave. We want him to become the king. We want him to be here forever because he's going to help us. He's going to help our children. He's going to help our grandchildren. We're all better. The society's better. Everything's better. And what did Jesus do? He loved them enough to leave them. And I will pray the Father, John 14. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even, what is this comforter? It's the Spirit of God. Even the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be 
in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I have to leave. I have to go away, but I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more. You're not going to see me. The physical Jesus, the world has been going after the physical Jesus that they've been trying to get their hands on. The physical Jesus that the masses of people have been thronging everywhere he goes. A little while and the world shall see me no more. But ye see me because I live and ye shall live also. 25 and 26, these signs have I spoken in you being yet present with you. But the comforter which is... The Holy Ghost, the comforter which I'm going to send, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name and shall be in you. Send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you in John 16, 5 and 7. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask me, whither goest thou? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Because I said I have to leave. Sorrow has filled your heart. And sure it did. And sure it did. The miracle man's leaving. The man who can take the loaves and the fishes and break them and feed thousands is leaving. The man who raises up the dead is leaving. He opened the blinded eyes of the deaf ear, laid his hand upon the lepers and cleansed them, put families back together, minds back together, hearts back together, society back together. He's leaving, and because I tell you I'm leaving, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, even though I'm doing something that makes you sad right now, I know you're not used to that because you know what I'm used to doing. I'm used to raising up the widow's son and bringing him right out of the casket and giving him back to his mother. You saw me restore hope and restore joy and restore peace, restore courage and calmness and happiness. And, and now I have to make you sad, but it's, it's expedient for you. It's necessary. It's the truth, Jesus says. I'm telling you the truth. I got to go away, for if I go not away, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, the comforter, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. What they could not possibly understand at the time was how much love it took for Jesus to leave. They could not comprehend. It was not within their ability to understand how much love it took him to leave them. They could only see the physical miracles and the temporary provisions and what he was doing to make their present lives better. But he knew what they did not know he was not going away. He was just physically leaving them. And he was going to return in spirit as the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. And that was 
immensely more valuable than him being physically in their presence. Because when he came in the form of the Holy Spirit, they would receive power like they had never felt before. And they would be connected to heaven like they had never been connected before. And they would participate in the miracles themselves and no longer just be spectators and receivers. But they would now be empowered by the Holy Ghost to participate in the miraculous. I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen an angel. I have no cause or reason to doubt people who say they have. Anyone who claims to have seen an angel, spirit, or Christ himself, I'm not going to argue with you. But I, I need us to understand something. What he is telling us is this whole idea that if an angel would just manifest itself, if Jesus would manifest himself, you know, preacher, if Jesus would just show up one day and tell me to do it, I'd do it. You know, if, it, if it's really that big of a deal, why doesn't an angel just show up and tell me? Why, if Jesus really loves us, why doesn't he just come back and do what he was doing in the New Testament again? He said, because that's the, that's the lesser. Believe it or not, that's, that's, just, the, that's just the beginning Believe it or not, Lazarus come forth and a dead man comes hopping out of the grave still wrapped up in grave clothes. That's really not that big a deal. Believe it or not, it's not. The big deal was I have to go away because if I go away, you haven't seen anything yet. If I go away, if I leave you in physical form, if I stop walking with you and sitting with you and talking with you and physically laying my hands on you and you physically touching my garment, if I go away, I'm going to come again. And when I come again, the spirit, my spirit, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And when I do, you're going to see things you never saw before. You're going to witness things that you never thought were possible. You're going to participate in things you never thought you would ever participate in but when the power of the Holy Spirit comes flooding into your life you are going to know that you know that you know that I have been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost and I can do all things through Christ oh hallelujah he says I have to go away because it's expedient for you. This is going to be better for you. But Jesus, how could it be better? It doesn't get any better than this. How could it get better than this? We're watching, we're listening, we're seeing all these things that you're doing day after day. The books, 
could not contain what you've done. How in the world could it get better than this? He says, when the comforter comes, when I come in spirit, I'm not just going to be around you. You're not going to have to get up every day and go outside and say, hey, where's Jesus today? Where's Jesus today? Where, where's he at today? Do you know where he's at? I want to, is he out is beyond the walls? Is he in town? Is he in the synagogue? Where's Jesus today? You're not going to have to wake up in the middle of the night with a sick child and say, somebody run, try to find Jesus. I don't know where he's at. I don't know where he's traveling, but we got to go find Jesus. Somebody go get Jesus here. A loved one is not going to be on the verge of death or, or, or their body riddled with leprosy and, and, and outcast from society. And you're going to have to say, I sure hope Jesus is going to come by today. I hope Jesus is in town today. A blind man sitting on the side of the road is not just going to have to hope that maybe Jesus is going to come passing by that they know why. Because there are going to be people that are filled with the power and the spirit of the holy God of heaven that are going to be walking around, hallelujah, be in the hands and feet of Christ with power and authority in the name of Jesus, such as I have. I don't have silver or gold, but such as I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk, and immediately his ankle bones receive strength. And that man lame goes leaping and crying out and jumping and worshiping God. Why? Because now there's a people and a church that are filled with the power of the the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. He said, I pray the Father, he shall give you another comfort. He may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. He said, you're not going to you're no longer going to have to wait until you hear that I'm, I'm doing a sermon on a hillside somewhere. You're not going to have to travel outside and go a great distance to, to hear me speak some words. He said, I'm going to be in you. And when the Holy Spirit is in you, that means the spirit of truth is in you. Which means, the Bible says, the spirit of truth shall lead us into all truth. Which means that I can, I can learn and glean. And I can wake up every day of my life and commune with the Lord. There's something powerful. Something so powerful about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of, the most one of the more powerful things, there's so many things, and we'll talk about next Sunday, but one of the such, such powerful things is, is what happens in you when you're filled with the Spirit in relationship to the Word. <laughs> Amen. Because He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so when the Spirit of God comes into you, your relationship to the Word of God changes. Suddenly it starts to make more sense. 
suddenly you start to see things in it that you didn't see before and comprehend things that you didn't comprehend before. And it starts to speak things into your life that you find beneficial and true as you begin to grow in your relationship with God. You grow in your relationship with his word because it is God. He says, I have to go. I have to leave you. And I know you're going to be sad about that, but I have to. That's just what I have to do because I've got something so much better. How can it be better than this? Just wait and see. Because I'm going to go from with you to in you. And that's a world of difference. It's a world of difference to be in circles where the Spirit of God is around. I, and, and, and I'm thankful anytime, anywhere, anyone can create an environment that Jesus is willing to manifest or to show himself in. If I could, that's a better way to say it, to, to show up and move and to, to do a work. I'm thankful. I don't, I don't care who they are. I don't care what religion. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter if they do something. He says, if you'll search with me for all your heart, you'll find me. Seek me and you shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. And anyone, anywhere, any place in the world, in any language, any culture, any creed that starts to seek after the Lord, he's going he's gonna to show up. And when he shows up, you, you feel there's an electricity that enters the air. There's a, there's a vibrancy. There's like something operating at a higher frequency. You begin to feel something, and you're not sure exactly what it is. It's the thing that when you've never felt it before, it causes you to kind of look around. Yeah. Is everybody else feeling what I'm feeling? What's going on here? Yeah. Is this a trick? Is something happening? You begin to feel it. Goosebumps begin to come. The little hairs on the back of your neck start to tingle. You start to feel something. But, it, but the longer you seek him, the more it starts from the outside coming to the inside. Next thing you know, you're crying. You don't know why you're crying. And and you're, you're praying, and you, you know, I don't even know how to pray, but I'm just talking to God, and, and, and I don't understand what's happening. I don't know. I've had people standing in an altar before praying with them, and they're weeping and laughing at the same time, and they're grabbing onto my arms, and they're saying, I don't know why I'm acting this way. I do. I know why. Because he loved us enough to leave. That's why. I know why you're feeling something inside your heart that you never felt before because he loved us enough to leave. I know why you're feeling something powerful that you've never felt before because he loved us enough to leave because he said, I, I have been around you. You felt my presence. You've seen me, but I want to do more than be around you. I want to be in you. I want to be in you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year in the good days and the bad, in the darkness and the sunshine. When you're downtrodden, or when you're uplifted, I will be there. I will be there. I have absolutely no idea whatsoever why anybody would ever deny the infilling of the Holy Spirit. 
I have no reason whatsoever. It blows my mind. It's unfathomable why anybody would ever say that people being filled with the Spirit of God was something that only happened at the beginning of the church age to 120 in an upper room and 3,000 people before the end of the day. But that was just for them, and that's not for us now. Well, if that's not for us now, and we also don't have Jesus physically with us now, then what do you got? Where's the power? Where's the authority? Where does the confidence come from? Where does the boldness come from? Where does the real life change come from? Tell me where the chain breaking comes from. Tell me where the darkness pushed back comes from. Tell me where the cancer healed comes from. You tell me where that comes from because I don't see anywhere else in scripture where it only comes from the power and the presence of the almighty God. And he went away. And if he went away, he also came again. And I want to hold on to that with everything I have. So I'm talking to some people in this house today that sure, the Lord has loved you. You may not have loved him, but you recognize that he must love you or else you should have been dead a long time ago. He's helped you, encouraged you, maybe even healed you, maybe even directed you here today. But don't make the mistake of missing the point. That's not his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is not just to be a figure that comes in and out of your life. His ultimate goal is not to be something that you think about for an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday. His goal, his goal is to be ever present. His goal is to be in you and not just to leave you in your weak struggling confused but to be in you so that you'll be strong courageous direction in your life a reason a purpose to get up every morning a value that goes beyond oh hallelujah a value and a reason to live this life. A value and a reason to make changes in our lives. He wants to fill you with his spirit and transform your life completely. And that can happen right now in this place. Jesus leaves. He says, but I want you to go and I want you to wait in this upper room. And they're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them the ability to do so. And then Peter and the rest of the disciples stand up. And Peter begins to preach. And he preaches a message about this Christ this Jesus 
whom you crucified. He was more than a man. He was more than just a prophet. He was more than just a kind-hearted person. And he gets done preaching. The Bible tells us in Acts 2, 37 and 8, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what are we supposed to do now? What are we supposed to do now? Jesus is gone. Jesus is gone, and, and I have another friend with leprosy. Jesus is gone, and my wife just got sick last night. Jesus is gone. And I've got questions with no answers. What are we supposed to do? He's gone. We crucified him. What are we supposed to do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, is not some automatic thing that I just declare I'm a Christian and now I have it. I don't get to just sign a membership form and say I've got the Holy Ghost. No. I must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and I will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Stand with me today. The gift of the Holy Ghost is God's Spirit in us because He loves us that much. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've had the Holy Ghost since I was eight or nine or ten years old. I've been in church my whole life. I've spoken in tongues thousands of times, and that's wonderful. Good for you. Why not do it again? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I, I, this is the first time hearing about this. I, I don't really know what this even means. I've heard about the Father and the Son and the Spirit and I've heard about this and I've heard about that I don't really know I'm telling you today the Bible declares to us that there is one Lord one faith and there's only one baptism baptism is told to us that it's supposed to be in the name of Jesus Christ we see them being immersed in the water completely when they're baptized. We see it in Scripture that it was always said over them in the name of Jesus when they were baptized. And they said the name of Jesus because that fulfilled what Jesus told them to do. When they said the name of Jesus, that was the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He only had one name, and his name was Jesus. So they were baptized in Jesus' name in the water after they repented of their sins after they had said I'm sorry and that repentance that brought forgiveness and that baptism that brought remission that is a purification and a cleansing that happens because he says know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost 
Know you not that if you want my spirit in you, you're going to have to get some of this other junk out of you. And before you think I'm telling you to go home and work on it for a few weeks and then come back when you're better, that's a lie of the devil. You ain't going to get better on your own. We don't get better on our own. We need the power of forgiveness. We need the power of baptism. We need the power of the Spirit in our lives. You say, well, preacher, the speaking in tongues thing, it's weird. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll also give you that the Bible teaches us that the tongue is the most unruly member of the body. That it has great power. That the tongue has power to speak life and death. So that seems the reason maybe that he would do something with our tongue that shows he has incomplete authority. And I don't know what else to tell you except he chose for people to speak in other tongues so that everyone around them and so that they would know and everybody would know that they were doing something they've never done before didn't have the ability to do. Nobody in this church is going to teach you how to speak in tongues. We're not going to ask you to mimic a sound or do something weird with your mouth. What we're going to say is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And he said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I don't have to do his job for him. That's his job. Would you lift your hands and begin to talk to Jesus all across this house today? Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.